Father in heaven, I want to thank you for a wonderful day, and I want to thank you for each one here, Lord, who is committing themselves to be used by you in service. Father, I also want to thank you for all of those on the campground here who have responded to appeals and are committing themselves to go back home and be more earnest about working for souls. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. I just pray that your Spirit would be poured out. And more than that, Lord, that we would be that we would be receptive. Father, we, we're told we live in the time of the early rain, that every bit of Holy Spirit power we saw on the day of Pentecost is available to us today. Lord, help us to be usable. Help us to be open to the leading of Your Spirit. And may many souls be won to Christ through us. For we ask it in His name. Amen. Okay, organizing for outreach. Now, if uh, one of the one, you know, the reason a lot of people get nervous about door to door is just because of that awkwardness, contacting people I don't know, that kind of thing. So, another method that a lot of people like is sending out mail out cards. And you can go to places like Hamblin uh, Company or uh, Color Press. No, does Color Press do that? I think Color Press does it and. Seminars Unlimited, and there's a few different places in the Adventist Church, and you call these guys up, and they make these nice little cards that say a special gift for you, or it's some, some kind of offer for Bible studies, and you um, call them up and, and give them an area, a zip code, a number of zip codes, a city, whatever, and arrange for however many you want to uh, purchase, and they will send out those cards for you, and people will get them. So you send out a thousand of them, and I don't know what the going rate is. Um, anywhere from five to twenty-five per thousand. Sometimes there's more, and sometimes less. It's better than a, a a meeting flyer. A meeting flyer usually only gets one to two per thousand. And just to plug this real quick, I've had church members say, "Oh, why do we waste our money on that?" And blah blah blah. A secular place that does an event sporting event or whatever else, they don't get any better results. Advertising is advertising. So people are going to be interested and people aren't. So advertising costs money. And uh, there are other things you can do to enhance it. We just experienced that with Unlock Revelation. And with the uh, collaborated effort, we saw an increase in our attendance and the effectiveness of our advertising. But it costs money to advertise. But it's worth it to save souls. Somewhere or the other, you've got to get people's attention. And so uh, you return on cards like that, uh, and it's usually less expensive to send them out. So you can send out a thousand cards for around two hundred fifty dollars or so. Okay, and you'll get anywhere between, like I said, five and twenty-five interests from those cards. You know that can be pretty good. Uh, you've got to consider this, and I'm going to we're going to see this tonight as well. When you, whether you're going door to door, whether you're sending out those cards, your initial interests are not all going to stay with you. Just know that. You've got to understand how it works, how the process works, and not get discouraged when you see certain things happen, like your numbers drop off or whatever. It's just like an evangelistic meeting. You'll see people on your opening night will come, and then they won't come back. And then new people will come, and then as you get to the harder topics, your crowd's going to trail off. Don't be shocked by that. Don't say it's a waste of our time when that happens. You're seeing that the soil of some is not ready for that seed. Okay, that's all you're looking at. Um, but the Lord is working on those individuals. Now, you do a mailing 
uh, and the benefit of the mailing is this. They get the cards back. You know, Joe Smith wants Bible study. They send the card now back to you. You get the card that Joe Smith filled out. You go to Joe Smith's house and say, Joe, I'm Mark with the such and such Bible school, and, and I see that you've requested this set of Bible studies. Okay? Now, some people like that. It's not like I'm knocking on the door and meeting somebody I've never met before. This person asked me for studies. Okay? That's fine. I have nothing against that. But it's going to cost you to do it. And you can do the same thing if you're willing to bear a little reproach for the cross of Christ. And you knock on some doors, and some people will say no, and some will say yes, and you'll end up with the same return. Maybe better, depending on how fast that ministry gets you your cards. Because I've seen this happen. There may be a, a, a weak link with the ministry, or it may be at your conference office, or wherever the mailing goes. And I've had situations where I get that card three months after somebody filled it out. Well, guess what? They're, they're, now they're studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses. That's been some of the worst case scenarios. They go and because somebody else got them because we didn't act on it. They wanted Bible study. They really did. Um, or somehow or the other, you get it late and they're just not interested in you. So that can be, you don't run into that with door to door because you're there and you know what's going on. Now, some ministries are better at getting, I think our, our, the, the ministries I know of that do this have, have recognized that and they try to do good job in getting those things around. But that can happen. So anyway, you're aware of that. Now, you can do, I've talked about meetings, your church has health meetings or something, you find interest there, and lots of different ways. But I like to have a ministry where we just go out door to door. Because it's easy uh, from a standpoint of just up and go. Cheap. Doesn't cost you anything except for the surveys you're going to take, some flyers you're going to take with you. We're going to take out study guides. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and you go. And you're going to find results. So there are other ways you can do it, but I'm going to tell you how we will do what we do tonight and how I would do it in a local church. On the top of page 46, you'll see the chart that Pastor Wes showed us earlier this week where you have the super evangelist who wins a thousand souls per day and Jack or Jill Adventist, who wins one soul a year and teaches them to win one a year. And you see the exponential growth that takes place over time. If you look below that, number three, this chart helps us make better sense of this quote from Ellen White, where she says, notice, wherever a church is established, how many of the members? All the members should engage actively in missionary work. They should visit every family in the neighborhood and know their spiritual condition. If professed Christians had engaged in this work from the time when their names were first placed on the church books, thousands upon thousands would stand today if God's commandment be fulfilled. And that's what we see in that chart. It's exponential growth when God's people get involved. It's funny because we sometimes we, we think we're protecting the new members from getting involved in outreach. Well, you know, they're new. You want to get... She says, as soon as they come in, that's a part of what... The people who come into the church, brand new people, they're the ones that you've got to hold back. They're ready to go. And the thing is, they often have more... You know, the longer you're in the church, the, the fewer non-Adventist friends you have. Not that you don't try, but the reality is, they live different than you. And every new person comes in, they got all kinds of non-Adventist friends. And they're ready to tell them. 
about what they're learning. So she says right away, people ought to be engaged. And notice how she says it. Visiting families, knowing their spiritual condition. A very personal work. Now, I'm not going to go through all of this in organizing for outreach. I'm just going to hit some of the high points. Always want to begin your organizing planning with prayer. You want to begin your studies with prayer. You want to begin everything with prayer. You want the Lord uh, to be consulted on what you're doing. But I want, do I have it in here? Yeah. Notice this uh, statement at the bottom of page 46. Some, some Christians, even Seventh-day Adventists, are very... They, 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 they fall into this led-by-the-spirit mentality, like we're just going to wing it and let, uh, let God lead. Well, I want to let God lead, but I want you to see how God leads. Look at the statement on the bottom of the page. It says, angels work how? Harmoniously. Perfect order characterizes all their movements. The more closely we imitate the harmony and order of the angelic host, the more successful will be the efforts of these heavenly agents in our behalf. Isn't that something? If we see no necessity for harmonious action and are disorderly, undisciplined, and disorganized in our course of action, angels who are thoroughly organized and move in perfect order cannot work for us successfully. Wow, isn't that something? That's convicting, isn't it? Now, I want to, break, I want to bring this up, and I want us to think about this. There are always areas we can be more organized in. And I'll tell you something else. The devil will always throw curveballs at you when you're trying to do the Lord's work and things won't go the way they're... Okay, that's not what this is talking about so much. The point is, because we know that's going to happen doesn't mean we should fly by the seat of our pants and wing everything. We should have a plan. And that's what we're going over is a plan. You need a game plan. Now, the devil may try to change it. And I told you, I think I told you in here, the number one rule for ministry, the number one qualification for any kind of ministry is adaptability, because you're going to have to adapt. The devil's going to throw things at you. You can't let it stop you. Just roll with it. But you want to make plans. If you don't make plans and say, well, it's not a big deal. If we see no necessity, as it says, angels aren't going to be able to work for us successfully. It says they turn away in grief, for they are not authorized to bless confusion, distraction, and disorganization. All who desire the cooperation of the heavenly messengers must work in unison with them. Those who have the unction from on high will, in all their efforts, encourage order, discipline, and union of action, and then the angels of God can cooperate with them. But never, never will these heavenly messengers place their endorsement upon irregularity, disorganization, and disorder. Okay, so that's why you may say, well, why don't we, why don't we just go out? Well, Besides the fact, I can tell you, even planning ahead, we, it's chaotic. I'm go, we're going to do our best today. It's hard. The first day out always is harder, too. Like, if we were together and we did this on a regular basis in a church, it would be better than one time. The first time is always like, okay, who am I going with again? Okay, where am I going? Wait a minute. What direct? And there's a lot of that that happens. It will happen today as organized as we try to be. Now, what you're going to get this afternoon is you're going to get, you're going to team you up, you're going to have a clipboard, you're going to have a map of where you're going, you're going to have the surveys and materials and a pen and everything you need. That doesn't just happen. When you organize this in your church, you want to organize it and make sure everything's ready. If you're the point person, you're in charge of it, you're making it happen, you want to make sure the people have what they need. I mentioned this the other day, and I haven't touched on it yet. 
but uh, lesson studies, for example. You don't want to leave that up to people to pick out. You don't want to get people together and say, okay, we're going on outreach today. I don't know. Look around the church. Find what you can. There's some glow tracks out there. There's the studies over there. You do that, and people are going to be like, they're looking at each other and saying, I thought I was coming. I thought you were going to tell us. When you organize, that's what you do. Okay? Now, once you've organized and, and, and somebody has their own direction that they want to go, and, well, that may be to some degree, you know, up to them. But you want to organize it and plan it. And we're going to talk about the different things that you would do. Now, the first thing, uh, uh, you want to pray, obviously, ask the Lord, maybe not so obviously, and ask the Lord for his guidance in, in your plans. And that's when you're planning, not just when you come together, that's a whole different time and another prayer. But ask the Lord's guidance if you're doing this again in your local church or something like that. Now, number two, if you look at page 47, I've got the steps here on page 47, number two, organize teams of two or three people. Okay? Notice Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. Find that in Luke chapter 10, one, among other places. I want you to look at the quote from Desire of Ages. It says, calling the twelve about him, Jesus bade them go out, what? Two and two through the towns and villages. None were sent forth alone, but brother was associated with brother, friend with friend. Notice, thus they could help and encourage each other, counseling and praying together, each one's strength supplementing the other's weaknesses. It was the Savior's purpose that the messengers of the gospel should be associated in this way. In our own time, Evangelistic work would be far more successful if this example were more closely followed. So you're going to go out in teams. You want to organize teams. If you're the organizer, you want to find... Now, here's a challenge you run into. If you were to try to do this in your local church, if you were just to say, hey, let's all meet at 3 o'clock on Sabbath, you're not, you don't know who's going to be there. So there's going to be something to pull the people together. You might, if you were going to do an outreach in your church, start out with kickoff Sabbath, or whatever you're going to do, whenever, it could be an evening of the week or something, but you might start off with a kickoff, find out who's interested, and then put your teams together for the next time so that everything is ready to go. Because there can be some time involved in that, potentially. But you're going to want to make teams, and you're going to put your teams together in two or three. Now, we've gone more than three. We've done, I've done this a lot with Emmanuel Institute. Well, the other thing that happens is you get your teams, and then you're going to have people who show up the next Sabbath or some other, hey, I heard what you guys are doing. I want to help. And you're like, okay, well, this is a new person. You're going to team them up. Either you're putting them on a team, or you might be making other teams up. So when you're making up your teams of two or three, recommended you have no more than two men together. Okay, you can do three girls, you can do two girls, you can do one girl. You can do a girl and a guy, you can do two guys. Don't ever do three guys. Two guys can be iffy, depending on the neighborhood, because it's intimidating to people. It just is more intimidating to people. Now, you'll have kids who will want to help. Okay, Let them help. Don't say, oh, i got to get a sitter so I can come out on outreach. Bring your kids. They love to come, and they'll disarm the people now, you might want to make sure you're with your coordinator and they don't stick you in the rough neighborhood over there with your kids. But I'm going to tell you, angels of God will be with you wherever you go when you go out in his name. But take your kids. Now, if you're pairing up teams, you might end up with five on a team. You might have, it's, that's a little awkward. I mean, obviously, 
we've had that happen where you have maybe two adults and three kids. Three adults and two kids, it'll be a little different. You're, you're, you're getting, you've got to imagine what a person's going to, now if you're just going to the door, okay. If you're going in home visits, that can be different. But you're wanting to put your teams together so you can get the work done, but you're not, um, you're not intimidating the people to the point where you're, you're ineffective. And so, does that make sense with putting teams together? You get the general gist of that? Okay? And, and if kids, depends on how old the kids are, too. Little kids, I mean, we've had swarms of little kids when we've gone out. And that's, it's different. Two adults and three or four kids. But if they're all little kids, it really uh, doesn't affect the people too much. There may be situations where you have a, uh, somebody comes last minute, so you end up with a bigger crowd of people. Just hold back at the door. Say, why don't you guys go to this door? Like, I've gone door to door with a team of three, and maybe we go three guys. That's what's left. And so, okay, us two guys this time, you two guys next time, and we'll alternate doors that way. Just know and just imagine showing up at the door with three guys is usually, um, they're, they're wondering what you're there for. You're going to come and break in or whatever else. So use that kind of wisdom and your judgment when you're organizing your teams. But you do want your teams together. Also try to put your teams together. If you have an, don't put two very shy people together to go door to door. I mean, you are, you are, you, you're torturing them by sending them out. They're like, Neither of them know what to say. And so try to put an outgoing one with one that isn't as outgoing. And if you have, again, I've done situations like that where you have, okay, you have two shy people and put an outgoing person with them or something like that. I wouldn't go more than three. There's, there, there are exceptions to every rule, but don't make the exception rule. Other times you're going to have a bigger team. But if I do that, it's because I had young kids there or something. I don't do more than three adults. I should take that back. There was one time. It was one time, I told you there's an exception to every rule, just about. I, we, were do, we were doing meeting follow-up, though, with an Emanuel Institute class, and we were following up one of the college students who had come, and we met him over at the student library. So we just went over, and I had myself and, I think, eight students. But it was in the, student, it was in the school library. So, you know, it wasn't quite the same as going in the house, and, and uh, it worked out okay. So there might be some situation where you're like, you know, this will work. But when you're going to the doors, two or three. Now, go to the next page, 48. Number three, designate a team leader. You've got to have a team leader, because here's what's going to happen. When you're going out door to door, somebody's got to keep track of what's happening. You're going to go and do surveys or whatever. Now, I, we've got a survey called the Community Religious Survey, and you'll see that in, after our break. But if you... There are other kind of things you can do. I've seen Steps to Christ surveys. I've seen uh, felt needs surveys where you're going around and asking people, what would you be interested in if our church offered this or this or this or this? And, and you tell them, we're just trying, our church is trying to un find out how we can better serve the community. So there are different surveys you can do. But somebody's got to keep track of the houses you went to, the streets you went down. You don't want to be going over a street and having somebody say, you guys just came by here last week. You guys just came by, somebody came by here five minutes ago. You know, you, so somebody's got to record where you've been, and that's your team leader. If you don't have a leader, everybody's like, uh, you know, this is, a, this is the bane of the pastor's existence. Nominating committee. 
when everybody is willing to volunteer and you're calling around, well, I'll do it, but I don't want to be the head. I'll do it, but I don't want to be the head. Well, somebody has to be the head. Amen, Pastor Mark. That's the kind of people we are. I'm preaching to the choir, right? You guys are all heads of something, right? You would never say that to the nominating committee. <laughs> right, Pastor Cameron? So anyway, um, you've got to have a leader. Otherwise, everybody's like, <laughs> if, you're, if you're the coordinator of the whole thing, and you have all these teams, and you're like, this is great. We've got all these people going out, and they get back. So where'd you go? And they're all looking at each other. Well, who filled out the, do you have the surveys? I don't. I thought I gave them. Didn't I give me? No, I think they're in the van. Uh, nobody knows where they are. What house did you go to? Oh, I forgot to write it down. That kind of stuff happened. We had a guy when we were in Goebbels, Michigan, the meanest man in Goebbels. We never found him, Janelle. Never found the meanest man in Goebbels again. Great experience. Great story. Had one of our students go to this guy's house, knocked on the door. The guy opens the door. He says, "Oh, you picked the wrong house today. You picked the wrong house today. I am the meanest man in Goebbels." That's what he told him. Told our student that. Uh, two young guys, two 19-year-old uh, kids went to this guy's house. So the funny thing is, I told a story earlier. We talked about the Minimax. You remember I talked about increasing the, the, the benefits of right doing? Well, I didn't get into the consequences of wrongdoing. And Mark Finley told a story I shared with the class of the consequences of wrongdoing. He had this guy he went to visit in one particular place, and the guy said, listen, I want to tell you right up front. HMS Richards has been here and tried to get me to join your church, and he wasn't able. And Fortis Dedimore tried to get me to join your church, and he wasn't able. Don't waste your breath. I'm not joining your church. Mark Finley said, I didn't know what to do. I thought about it, and I said, you know what? I wouldn't want you to join my church because you're so stubborn. You sour everybody in the bunch. But let me tell you something. You're getting up in years. It's an older guy. And he says, I don't know how much time you have left. If I were you, I'd be making my decision for Christ sooner than later. He says, now tomorrow morning I'm going to be preaching at the church, or this Sabbath I'm going to be preaching at the church. And I'm going to make an appeal. And if I were you, I would be there. And if I were you, I'd come forward for that appeal. <laughs> he said the man was there that Sabbath, and he came forward. <laughs> so I told my students this story, right? So there they are with the meanest man in Goebbels. Well, he's an older guy. You picked the wrong house to come to today. Well, they began going through. Uh, they, were, they, were, um, they weren't surveying. They were selling MAGA books. Well, we've got this. No. You got this one? No. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys? They kept trying to push it, uh, the books. And he said, no, no, no. N, O, no. I know what N means. I know what O means. I know what it means when you put them together. No. Well, they're a little bit dejected, right? They're walking away. And one of the guys thinks back to that story. We told this that morning. He's like, man, that guy's pretty old. And what if he doesn't make his decision? So he goes, he, said, he turns to his partner, he says, we need to go back and knock on the door. The guy's like, what? We got to go back there. And the thing, it was right toward the end of the day. So we had our van there ready to pick him up. No, 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 we got to go back to the house. He's like, you go back there. So fine, I'll go back. And he went back by himself, went back up to the door, knocked on the door. Nobody answered. Knocked on the door again. Nobody answered. Then he started thinking, you know, is this just me trying to get some glory for seeing if this guy... I mean, and he said, Lord, if I'm not here for the right reason or something's wrong about this, just intervene. I'm going to knock one more time. Knocks on the door. Guy opens the door. Looks at him and he sees the van out there and he says, you need some help out to your van? I can see it out there. And our student says to him, 
you know, he says, I know you don't know me. He says, you're, you're kind of getting up there in years. <laughs> he tells him. You're kind of getting up there in years, and if you don't accept Jesus now, you're, you're, you, you might be lost. And I want you to be saved. And he said the guy softened up a little bit. He said, I like you, kid. You got push. Kids these days don't have any push. And he begins chatting with him. And one of the things that the student had told him when he went up to the door is, um, the guy said, I'm the meanest man in Goal. Well, I don't have any friends. I'm so mean. And he said, well, you made one today. Or you're going to make one today. Something like that. So the second time the student went up and the guy says, I like you, kid. You know, you got push. We need more kids like that. They went out to the, and he, and he walked him out with him to the van, and they were chatting. And he said, you know, he said, uh, he said at the door about uh, making a friend today. He said, yeah. He said, I, uh, you made one. And Ricky said, the student, he said, if you're my friend, then you fill this card out. <laughs> I was sitting in this card. Anyway, the students were excited about the story excited about the experience and nobody wrote down the address we had no way of finding we didn't know we could ne we never found the man again we went through Goebbels again and never found him again don't know what happened to the meanest man in Goebbels we pray to the Lord you know we make mistakes like that sometimes that's why you need team leaders who will remember where they were and write the stuff down I know it's tragic isn't it but the Lord's in charge of it and I know the Lord worked in that situation but you want somebody who is going to be take responsibility. So when you're planning, you want a team leader. You're going to have team leaders tonight. When you go out, somebody's going to be a team leader before we leave. Number four, identify yourselves with a ministry name. Now, you don't have to do this, but this really makes it easier. I'll tell you what I used to do. This card on the left, I modified it for our manual here, but the card on the left at the bottom and it's in color, this isn't in color, but it's something I made up by taking the picture off the internet, internet, making my own card for our people. And I had their name, and it was Amazing Facts, because we were using, and we will be using tonight, the Amazing Facts study guides. One reason being that I have a whole bunch of them in our manual and stuff. Another being I like them besides a versus a lesson that is a fill-in-the-blank, because when I'm dropping off lessons at the door, they're not going to get their Bible out and look everything up. So I'm looking for an initial uh, entry, entrance with this person, a connection. And so that's what I, the Amazing Facts lessons are colorful. They grab your attention. I'm trying to grab their attention and get spiritual interest right now. And one thing that I'll do, which is, may sound odd, but let's say I'm dropping those lessons off to Julie. And here's lesson number one. I come back next week and I'm using, I'll talk about drop-off lessons in a minute. What I'll do is, uh, if I get an in-home, I'll probably move off that lesson and try and start using a different lesson for an in-home lesson. This may sound kind of odd, but it's just how I do it because I, I like some other lessons better for a sit-down Bible study lesson. Those are like little magazines with Bible information. In fact, how many of you know what I'm talking about, the Amazing Facts study guides? I'll show you uh, after the break, but um, if you try to do a Bible study off of them, like lesson study number one, has one question that deals with prophecies of the Messiah, that's an entire Bible study. That's a one-hour Bible study. You're not going to sit down with somebody and go through that thing in an hour. So I use them for kind of getting interest. So I use these amazing facts. Here's what I did. And I wasn't, at this time, I was, this is before I was a pastor. 
and then I, when I started being a pastor, I, I did the same thing for a while. I would um, now we go out with the Amazing Institute pageant. I'll tell you what I mean by that in a minute. But when I would give the Amazing Facts, we'd go out with the Amazing Facts guide. We'd go to the door. You know, we'd knock on the door. You know, I'm going with Charity. My name is Mark, and this is my friend Charity, and we're here representing Amazing Facts Ministry. Wondered if you have a couple minutes to take a survey, something like that. Well, there's the name tag, and they see Amazing Facts. And what do you think that does for the person at the door? What if I don't have that name tag and I'm not associated with anything? Well, who is this person? So it gives them right away, it, it gives them a little bit more confidence, and it gives the one going to the door more confidence. If you don't know why you're going and what you're going to say, like right now, a lot of you are like, oh, we need time to review what we're going to say. I mean, if I don't know what I'm going to say, I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm not going to know what to do, and you get nervous about that. You want to have a reason to be there. You, want to feel, you don't want to feel awkward going up to the door. And so being associated with something and having a reason to go there um, helps to disarm the people that you're going to and yourself. Now, I, I made these up, and then I took on the study guides. I took a bunch of mail labels. You can get just the big sheets of the Avery labels. I found out when Amazing Facts aired on the cable stations in my area. I typed that out, and I stuck all those on the back of my lesson. And, and at the time, when I was doing Bible work, I did that. And at the time, Amazing Facts was airing on the Family Channel. I don't think they have the Family Channel anymore. It's called the Family Channel. I do, but, um, wow, you can't go wrong with a family. You knock on a door. And what I would do is I'd say, I'm Mark and I'm representing the Amazing Facts Ministry, have you seen our program on the Family Channel? Well, how can this be bad? You've got a program on the Family Channel, right? And it would disarm people. And that's how, and I'd have it stuck. And, I'd, and if they'd say, some had seen it. Some hadn't seen it. And they'd say, no, I haven't seen it. Well, here are the airtimes. show airs. Um, I wondered, if, you know, I would get into whatever I was getting into. The label on the right is something that was developed in the Westerville Seventh-day Adventist Church in Westerville, Ohio. Uh, it was a community wellness center, and they made this little logo. And that particular, uh, when we went out with the community wellness center, that's when we would do surveys to see if they were interested in stop smoking plans or some of the other things the church offered. And so, you know, can collecting and other things that we would do, food drives. And so we would go out with that name tag, but again, it would associate us with something. So you feel like you have a reason being there, you have a way to introduce yourself, and that kind of thing. What we'll do today is we'll say, um, I would say, I'm Mark, and I'm with the Emanuel Institute. We're in this area doing a survey, and I was wondering if you had a couple minutes to help me out in answering some questions, something to that effect. Very easy to do, but again, you're associating with something. I see the name tag, and it just uh, disarms people. So I would recommend that. You can come up with something else, but I would recommend associating yourself with something when you go to the door. Uh, it, 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 this day and age, it's not um, surprising that a person might be a little leery with somebody coming up to the door. So this, and again, when you have, imagine three guys who have nothing. You got name tags and, you know, there's, you know, then you got three guys with no name tags or anything, you're calling the police in some neighborhood. It's like, knock, 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 I'm not answering the door, 911, I've got... Right? So you don't want to have that happen. Anyway, you want to identify yourself with a ministry name. And this is when you're doing the organizing. 
And then number five, you want to map out your work area. I have a sample map here. This is actually a map that, that uh, Elder Justin Ringstaff made when he was pastoring the Lansing Church. And you see how he put these different zones. And, of course, they're colored on his map. But he, set, he, 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 put, he sectioned off the city into outreach zones. Now, here's what you might do. You might make up your teams, organize your teams, and go into an outreach territory, but that doesn't mean you are working every... I'll tell you right now, the Lansing Church isn't working every territory. So you, you section off, and you might say, we're all going to start working in Zone 7. You might alternate and say, we're going to go Zone 6 this week and 7 next week and back and forth. Now, you don't want to leave a zone for too long, but it depends on how often you're going out. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute, about setting a regular time and time limit. But when I went out in, in organized outreaches, and everybody does it a little different, uh, I would prefer to do it on Sabbath like every other Sabbath. Only because, two now I'm going to tell you this, Sabbath is not the best day to find interests. But it is the best day to get your people involved. And you want the people to be involved. What's going to happen is this, when you find the interests and end up with people wanting Bible studies, you're going to have to be flexible enough to set some time aside. It's not going to be Sabbath afternoon more than likely. It might be. It might be Thursday. It might be Tuesday night. It might be whenever you can get and have a Bible study. Uh, understand that your reason for going on outreach is not to go indefinitely knocking on doors for the rest of your life. And that's one thing that a lot of people get mixed up on. I've watched people, I've watched churches go out and like, yeah, we got a bunch of interest today. We got all these surveys filled out. And they go next week and the next week. And, and so far... In fact, I have one church that did this, and I said, so how many interests have you guys had so far? It wasn't a real big church. Uh, we probably, 80 people. 80 people? One thing you've got to keep in mind is you've got to follow up with those 80 people. Your goal isn't just to get a bunch of surveys filled out. You're intending to follow, get, you find the interest, you're going to go back the next week, you're going to go back the next week until you find the one who, or ones who are wanting to study, get in home studies going, and ultimately lead to baptism. Don't forget that your goal is you want to see them baptized in the church. So you want to, you want to look long-term. You don't want to just say we're going out this afternoon. You want your people to be thinking about that. That's our goal. That's what we have in mind. And if you get, you got to be careful because let's say I go out, we, I get my church going out. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. We've just done these meetings. I'm not, I've done work in Alma. Um, and we get a good-sized group here too. Um, I've done sessions. Usually our 10-day sessions run about, 15 people, give or take. And we'll take 15 people out, so you usually end up with about seven teams or less. You know, some have two, some have three. And with those seven teams, we would go out typically, tonight's not typical, because we're gonna, it's going to be shorter time, but we would shoot for about an hour on, at the doors. So we're going to go out in our territory, so we give about an hour and a half or whatever. We drive out, go to the territory, we knock on the doors for about an hour, we come back, and then we review. Okay, and in that hour, we would usually get, and Emmanuel, you can check me if I'm wrong here, but somewhere between, I'd say about uh, four or five drop uh, in-home studies, and um, about 10, 10 to 20, depending on drop-off studies. Okay, that's with seven teams in one hour. Now you do the math on that. Let's say your church did that, and you did that every week for a month. Okay. Four or five in-home studies. You've got 20 in-homes, and you've got, let's be on the low side of that. Let's take four, and sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. 
you take the fours, you get 16 in-home studies, and you've got 40 drop-off studies. Well, somebody's got to go back to all those different places and meet with those people. Who's going to do it? I'll tell you right now that you get an outreach group going on Sabbath, and not all your outreach people are going to commit themselves to doing all the following. Okay? Know that ahead of time. So that when you're planning, if you're doing this in your church, you've got to keep in mind, you don't want to keep knocking on doors if you keep building up interest. You're going to got to start thinking, wow, we've got to hold on a minute. <laughs> we've got to do some follow-up before we get back and get more interest again. Pastor Cameron, and then Ron. Yeah, so you don't turn anybody of your team away. If you've got people who won't do the follow-up, hey, if they want to, because you've got members who are like, I'd give Bible studies, but I don't want to knock on doors. Okay, fine. We'll go round them up, and you can give them. And, yeah, and it may not start out that way. It may pan into that. So you're going to start out. You're going to be knocking on the doors and whatever else. My, the point here, though, is that um, you need to keep in mind that when you're building up your interest, somebody's going to have to follow up. Your intention is you're working your zone. So you might have your whole group working in one particular zone of the city, but you're going to find this as well. When we were in uh, South Haven, Michigan, well, it's a coastal place. and There's a lot of people who vacation there, and they're vacation home. So what do you think happened with the students who got the streets over by the lake? Nobody home, nobody home, nobody home, nobody home, nobody home, depending on the time of the year. So you're going to have some of your areas, your zones. I was in one particular church, and I organized a church, and we went on outreach. We got everybody, we Sabbath afternoon, we'd go to church. Uh, we'd have, we'd bring lunch, um, because it wasn't fellowship meal every week, we'd just bring our lunch, and after lunch, we'd go out door to door. And there was one particular, it's really funny, in retrospect, there was one particular street in the area that nobody wanted, because they said, uh, no, that's an industrial area, and there's a lot of businesses on that street, and they just felt that nobody would be home. So we started, everybody got their different streets. Well, we had a guy come in, he didn't have a street yet, and what was left for him? this other street. So he takes, well, we come back together and we're telling our stories and he had all the interests week after week after week. The guy on that street, you know what the name of the street was? Bright Street. I thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, you've got different, some areas are going to be more productive than others. And so what you may do, so keep in mind that when you're going out on a regular outreach, now, your church may do a, a glow week where you're just going out and passing out glow, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that is calculated to get into studies with people and lead them into the truth and baptism. So this is not a one-time, we're all getting together and going out. Not that you can't do that sometimes. This is, I'm going to go on a regular basis. I'm going to go and I'm going to meet, I'm going to do the surveys, and then I'm going to follow up those same interests the next time I go out. And I'm going to follow, those are my people and my team, and we're going to go and follow them up the next time, and we're going to continue through that process. So you don't want to miss, you don't want to be, if I go and find a person who's interested in studies, I don't want to go today and then I have my next outreach a month from now. Okay? That's why uh, every week is better for that. But when you're trying to get your church members going, they're like, well, if I do that, every week is going to be, I'm not going to have any Sabbaths to myself and this and that, and then they just won't commit to it. And so what I've done oftentimes is just every other week, it's close enough together, your people can commit to that, and they still have their time, they can arrange other things on the Sabbath, and that kind of thing. 
or I've had some every weekers, and I have some people who say, and I'll tell them right up front. If you're organizing, I'll tell the people up front. Tell me what you can do. Just tell me what you can commit to. I'm not asking you to be at everything. If you say, I can't do it every week, tell me when you can do it. And that's when we'll schedule you. And that way, you want to get as many of your people involved, and some of them just can't do it. Some of them want to do it every week. But anyway, you got to process through that, okay? A month is too long. I wouldn't go more than two weeks. I wouldn't go more than two weeks. And I wouldn't go two weeks except for I'm trying to work with the group of people that's actually going out. And they, Now, I'll tell you this. Once you get into Bible study, it's once a week. It's once a week. It may not be once a week outreach. So let's say we schedule outreach on the first and third Sabbath. Once you've got an interest, you might be going Thursday night and dropping off the next lesson or whatever. But you've got to, you can't keep it spread out like that. You, you want, especially when you're in home. You might be able to do drop-off every other week. But once you get in home studies, it's going to be every week. Uh, Amen? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. You're, you're in line. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I would do, you know, now this is the pastor mapped his territory out. You would want to work with your pastor and find out what your territory is. But the reality is, I mean, he was very, in, I wouldn't have done this, personally. Um, it, it, I mean, you'd have to have a huge group of outreach people. Now, he's figuring, I'm going to have to cover this, this in my territory sooner or later. But I probably wouldn't have gone to the trouble to map it all out. I probably would have started a little bit more with maybe zone 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 or something like that. Or depending where my church was. See, if my church, let's say my church is in zone 4, I probably would have gone in zone 4, 5, 6, and 7. And then I would have worked out from there. But I'm not saying it's wrong to, you know, he just mapped a whole area out. And I don't know exactly how he did this. I'm looking at it and thinking how I might do it. Uh, and I'll expound on that a little bit more in a minute on how I would, um, how I would probably do this church. Yes. Well, Adventist churches, yes. Yeah, you're in Berrien area. And they've got, the, the reality is this, though. It depends on how much churches I've been close to other churches who aren't doing any outreach. So, <laughs> you know, and 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 I may do the outreach and I may talk with the pastor there and say, hey, if we get interest in your area and such and such, oh, that'd be great, you know. So you can find ways to work with that. Cameron, right. that's right, that's right, because your numbers are going to build. The only uh, caveat I would put in that is. You want to make, you're going to have to have a core team that can follow up on a regular basis. Right. I will say this, though. It, it's going to be more successful. So let's say you have people who are outreach, but they don't necessarily want to get the studies. People don't want to do the studies, uh, but they'll go on outreach, etc. Your best bet if that study is the initial contact. Right. So that is the ideal, yes. There wouldn't. Unless you lose that, that's the whole point, is sooner or later you're going to be in a study and you're not going to be going out door to door. You're just going to find an interest. And so if you have that in mind, you've got to keep all of this in mind that we're talking about. You've got to understand that we're going to find interest and some of those are going to end up into in-home studies and we've got to be prepared for that. And honestly, um, if I had people who were like, well, I just can't go out all the time and they're like, once a month, I would just plan a literature blast and have you know have them take part in that versus the door to door because when I'm knocking on the doors trying to get the studies ultimately I want a person who can go to that door meet the people connect with the people get into studies with the people and take them all the way through okay 
And ultimately, that's what we want for all of our members. Ultimately, if, if they're just taking and doing a glowathon or something like that, that's not going to give them the experience they need in giving personal Bible study. But you're not going to have whole participation right away. Jesus, if you go back in Scripture and look, Jesus did not start with 12 disciples. And he didn't wait until he had 12 before he started working. He started at it and he built the number. And you're going to have that happen as well. There are going to be people in your church who say, man, this is great. I, I, I need to do something like this. And I didn't think I could, but this person can. And, and I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. So your number may build. But what we're talking about is very specifically um, a ministry where you're finding interest, giving Bible studies, and leading towards baptism. In the context of that, you may do a glow-a-thon. You might say, I want to get the whole church involved periodically. But you're going to have to have the people that are going to work their way through studies, yes. Yes. I can tell you statistically, because I'm not a prophet, but usually um, of your in-home studies, well, you drop off in in-home studies. If I had, let's say I went out today and I found 10 in-home studies, you're probably going to have, you might only have one of those come all the way through the baptism. You might not have that. But you, huh? I don't know. Every, every place you go, every, every street, every neighborhood is going to be different. It's, it's a, it, in some ways, it's a law of averages, but you just don't know. Every demographic is different. Your goal is to find the ones. And the thing is, you're going to start studies. You don't know if they're going to stick with you. You don't know if they're going to drop off. But here's the thing. Let's say I go out. I find an interest to study with. Great. We're going to begin studies. Three weeks later, boom, they're done. What do I do? Now I go knocking it and I get another study. So I'm not knocking on doors forever, but when I lose my study, I'm going to go find another study. I know how to do it. And I don't need my church group. If, to be honest with you, I can just go find a street and start knocking. But if my church is doing this, I'll work in a certain area. Now let's just go back to this uh, chart in the different zones. Let's say that, that we do this. This is our church and we zone out. This is Lansing, so there are a lot of people here in this little picture. And the reality is, in a typical church, your whole church could work in one zone. And so what I would probably do personally, well, if I was doing it every week, if I was doing it every week, I might do zone two zones. Just to catch, you know, one's going to be maybe more a different type of people or more interest in another. I'm going to play with that and see where's the more interest. Wow, I get a lot more interest over in this zone. You'll find that on days, too. If you do different outreach days, let's see. At Emmanuel Institute, we were doing uh, Sundays, and um, when was it? Emmanuel Sundays and Thursdays. Sundays and Thursdays. And then we changed over to Sabbath and Tuesday and Thursday um, because Sabbath is better for the members. But from my recollection, and this wasn't always the time, but Thursday nights seemed to be a better time. Weekends, people in their mind, they're taking the day off. And then here you come in and disrupt the day off. Thursday's a work day. And so anyway, it doesn't always happen that way, but you'll find in different areas things that work better in one place than another. And that part of what you're going to do over the course of time is you'll say, oh, this is more effective when we do this and that. But you can only learn as you go. But I would probably alternate between a couple areas. Um, in this particular case, if I'm going out every other Sabbath, I don't want to work in zone 5 and then work in zone 6, 
next time because that means I'm not back in zone five until a month later. So I might divide my team into two groups and have one group work in zone five and one group work in zone six just to get a feel for which, or I may put them all in the same zone. And if I were inclined to do one or the other, I would personally would probably put them in the same zone for this reason. When you start going out and you haven't gone out door to door before, your nervous is all get out, and I want to make it as easy for you as possible. And I'll tell you, I've had situations where um, I did Bible work and I was thrown out on some street by myself. When I did Bible workers, a lot of times work by themselves. So here I am by myself knocking on doors down the street. It sure feels good when there's somebody on the other side of the street knocking on doors. You just, I don't know, in case they grab me and pull me in the house, there's somebody over to say, I don't know what the thinking is. I mean, I'd try, but there's something about having the team out there. And so when you're in an area and you've got different people in your church, and sometimes I'll say, well, let's do this street. And I'll do this side. My team will go this side. And your team will go that side. And then you guys go down this side and this side, you know, or the street over. There's something about, oh, you know, you see everybody once in a while. And you just, there's a, there's a feeling of security and of camaraderie. And so a lot of times I'll just do that, especially if there's, the only reason I wouldn't is if there's just not enough territory. And I might not do all of them on the same street like that, but I may say, you guys get this side, and we'll get this side, and then you guys go the next street over, and you do one side, and you do the other, and that kind of thing. That's how I would typically do it. And I'll work in my zone. If I'm doing it, again, if I'm doing it every week, I may alternate zones, or I'll just work in that zone until we get that zone done, and then we go to the next zone. And then we get the next zone, zone, zone done. Or I'll have one group in this zone and one group in that zone, we'll finish through the zone. And we've got to track where we've been so we're not overlapping with each other until that zone has been covered. And something I need to throw out, when you're doing a street and people aren't home, I mean, I've seen this happen time and again. Students are like, well, I've got to get back. This person wasn't home and I'm going to go back. And they're going back seven, eight, nine times to that street trying to find those people that weren't home. That is a waste of time. The Lord will make sure those who are home need to be home. Um, you know, I, I can't totally say that. The enemy may divert people, but the fact of the matter is you've got so much territory to cover. Generally, you just got to keep going. You're going to go down a street. People aren't going to be home. You, maybe you'll hit that, hit that street later once you finish the zone or whatever else. But right now, um, now there might be, I've had cases where a student's like, but there was this one house I really feel, okay, fine, go back to it. But don't go down a street and you're like, okay, there are five people. Well, most of the street wasn't home. Just keep moving. Just keep moving because you're not running out of territory. There are more and more people to find, and uh, that's typically what I would recommend. Otherwise, you confuse yourself. You're like, let's see, which one have I been to? Which one have It becomes more difficult. And the reality is if you just keep at it, your goal isn't to get every street in the area. Your goal is to find an interest. And once you find the interest, you get into a study. That's the goal. Uh, now, I don't know what the order was over here. I know over here there were hands before over here. So Joel will start. Yes. Number one, no soliciting. Look, you go according to your conscience. I've gone to the door and I've said I'm not selling anything. So there you go. But if you say, I wouldn't want to do that, don't do it. Don't do what you feel uncomfortable with. I mean, we've had situations where there was one place where our students went in and there were, you know, signs up like this property protected by Smith and Wesson. And you got the dogs and fences and everything. And beware of dog, you know, man-eating dog and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what they were all on that one. You remember when... Uh, um, yeah, and, and anyway, back hidden, back out of the way, but the students said, you know what, 
I think the Lord wants us to go back there. And they went back, and the, the, the student said there was a dog, they had a big Rottweiler, and they had a fence that was right by the porch. And he said that dog was jumping over that fence every time he jumped. If he only knew how high he jumped, he would just jump right over it. But he evidently didn't realize it. And he went up to the door there, and he said the people were real nice and chatted with it, you know. I would never make a student go in a situation like that, but they felt like going there. So typically, but the no soliciting and all that, you've got plenty of territory to reach. So we've had people do that. Uh, the Lord may lead you in a different direction, but um, now if there is something that's posted that you're not to be on the property, I wouldn't go there. You want to obey the laws of the land, or you just you're showing you're showing them that your religious faith that you're about to share with them has no regard for. So you want to regard people's... Well, another thing that I do, and this is a fight we have with the MAGA bookers. MAGA bookers, their goal is get as many houses as possible. They'll tell you, run from lawn to lawn. We don't run on lawns. We go on the sidewalks. We don't walk, walk through people's lawns because that offends some people. It's like, I'm keeping up my lawn, and you're tracking through. And so I want to do everything that is commendable to the person's um, personal feelings, respecting their property, etc. Yeah, what if the police said... Yeah, some of these, yeah, it, it, our country doesn't, yeah, we've done, we've run into those kind of things. It, yeah, unless it's a private gated community or something like that. Uh, but we rarely run into anything like that. We have had situations where the police have come out or, you know, somebody calls. Because somebody calls and they have to come out and they see what we're doing and there's nothing they can do. They don't, so it's not an issue. Um, but if, if, let's say you're in an area and that happens. Um, one thing we did in one place I was in was we put an ad in the local paper. Just called the local local paper, said we're going out, we're doing surveying in the community, and you wrote this ad, and we wrote the ad and said, you know, such and such, we'll be going around this ministry. And then I go to the door and I'd say, perhaps you read in the paper about the survey we're taking? It was there, and, and so the, the authorities... I, Police officer wanted to say something, which didn't happen in that because it's in the paper. So uh, there are a lot of community papers that will do that kind of thing. So there are things you can do, and that helps the church members to feel better because, hey, look, it's in the paper. People can't get they can't get angry. You just say, oh, we advertise in the paper. We read your local paper. So, yeah. Well, yes, it doesn't happen often. Linda? Yes. I will always leave something, a glow track or something there. Don't leave anything in the mailbox. It's illegal here in the United States, not in some countries, but here it is. You can't leave things in the mailbox, so just don't. You know, find a way. A lot of times, a good place to put them is door handles. If you just fold the track and it has enough tension to it, it'll just pop right open between the door handle and the, and the, and the casing. Um, so, there, yeah. Or in the, you can put it in the door, in the screen, or screen door, or whatever else. Newspaper box, you can put it in there, just not in the mailbox. So, uh, the problem in the newspaper box is they might not see it, and oftentimes those things get thrown away. But at any rate, um, yeah, who, who else? Uh, you were asking about the time. Depends on the area, right? It just depends. We have gone in all different times. It just depends on house per house. Depends. I mean, there are people these days that work night shift, there are people who work different you know, shifts and, and all that kind of thing. Is that? Uh, what, yeah. About the police, and yeah, and they won because they, you're not currently, at least in the United States, you can't prohibit that kind of work. But we've, like Emmanuel said, we've been doing this for a long time, and those occasions are very rare. 
So anyway, with the outreach area, you get a little gist of that. Uh, if you look at the top of the next page, there's a sample map. You want to make individual maps for each zone. Now this is a small area with a few streets, and it's segmented off. The reality is, uh, I just did this for illustration purposes, but I would probably have all of these as a section for a team because there's enough streets there. And the reality is, and I know this neighborhood, you would, you would spend, it would take you to knock on every door if you were going out, let's say, an hour every time you went out. It would probably take you about eight to ten times to go through this little area of a few streets and a few blocks, maybe longer. So, you know, you, 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 it's, you gotta, it, it takes a while to get through the territory. Um, so you want to, but you want to make individual maps. You'll have individual maps so that your people know where they're going and they have a way to mark off where they went to, okay? And then uh, number six, you want to plan a door approach. Whether you're using, like we talked about some of them, amazing facts or the community wellness service or whatever, you don't want to leave that up to the person to say, hey, go to the door however you want to do it. You want to plan the approach. This is how we're going out tonight. We're going to go out as a manual institute, institute students, et cetera. Now, somebody wants to, like Ron says, hey, what if you do? Go ahead. But I have a planned approach, and that planned approach is uh, uh, I'm a student at a manual institute, and we're taking a class right now. And part of our, you know, uh, part of our class is uh, doing a community survey here in your neighborhood, and I was wondering if you had a couple minutes to help me out. I don't. I have a canvas in here somewhere. I'm just winging it from there. Uh, but I, I've got a canvas. You can. But I, I just want you to understand the only the reason for a canvas is to help you to be natural. You know, know what to say, but not to read and quote. It's good if you're more natural and, and just basically telling them I'm with this and I'm asking and you have. And I always ask if they want to help me out. You know, you're asking for the favor, like you've done with the will. I wondered if you have a few minutes. I actually, in fact, I'll say, I'll always say, I wonder if you have a couple minutes. And they'll say, I'm really busy. Or something like that. And I'll say, look, honestly, it only takes about two minutes. And when I say that, I mean that. It doesn't take long to go through the survey. Now, listen carefully. We'll get to this when we talk about the survey. If they start talking and expounding on things, now I'm on their clock. And I can go for however long I want. So I'm giving them two minutes. I'll do the survey. But if you interject my survey and you want to talk a lot, great. We're past our two minutes, and I'm not worried about it anymore. The reality is, once if they've done that, they themselves have opened the door for more conversation. So um, if, if a person says, you know, I only have so much time, that's fine. We'll do this. And I'll only take a couple minutes. I'll get them in the survey that way. But a lot of times people will tell you that, and they have more time. Everybody has more time. They have time for something. Whatever we want to make time. And if they make time for it and they get into conversation, they forget about the time. And it's not like I've ever done that and they're like, hey, wait a minute, you said two minutes. No, they open that door. What they're telling me is, you know, initially, people give that initial response, well, I'm real busy because they don't want to do it. But once they're doing it, usually they have more time than they let on initially. No. It's just too verbose. I, I, there's no need to. You, you just, you just you know, it's, uh, identifying yourself with something. So... Just like I wouldn't say Amazing Fast Radio and TV Ministry out of uh, uh, Sacramento, California. Um, yes, I do. They're, they're actually back there by you, I learned, in a box. 
Okay, choose which literature, I touched on this before, choose which literature, whatever you're going to use. You can use whatever studies, but you want to have this ready for your people. You've done this, you'll see this this evening. Okay, once you've got all that together, then you come to your outreach. Okay, and that's on page 51, and I'm going to go through this quickly. Uh, your pre-organization is done, so you're going to hit the ground. Number two, plan a regular, which really should be, because the one is an introductory, so this should be your first step. Plan a regular and consistent outreach time and time limit. Okay, You're going to have to work around. Like I said, Sabbath afternoon isn't the absolute best time for outreach, but you're taking several factors into consideration. I want my people to be there as well, and the best time when compromising all factors is you know, Sabbath afternoon. Usually Sabbath, if you're doing it on Sabbath, Sabbath around 2, two somewhere between 2 and 3. That gives you time for the sermon, lunch, and then people to get there who have you know, didn't have a fellowship meal or whatever else. But if I plan, let's, so I, let's have a regular, and I want a regular. I don't want, okay, this Sabbath we're going to meet at 3 o'clock. Uh, next, next, no, next, next Sunday we'll meet at 1.30. And then the next Thursday we'll meet at, you want something consistent. Because I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I have board meetings here every Thursday, fourth Thursday at 7 o'clock, and people still don't get it. I'm the new guy here. They've been doing it for 30 years in this church, and they still don't remember when board meeting was. So if you switch it around all the time, then you want a regular and consistent outreach time. We're going to meet on Sabbath at 3 o'clock. That's outreach. Every other Sabbath. First and third Sabbath. Something like that. You also want to have a regular time limit, a consistent time limit. Now, with Emanuel Institute, when we got into doing our outreach nights, we would go out for several hours. The students would be, we would go, uh, we would get together in the classroom at 3.30, and we might not get back on campus until 9 or 9.30. So we had outreach. And that's after the students. But what was happening is we found interest. They're going out and giving probably two studies a night. So we're going to go to this study. They're going to go to the neighborhood, and they're going to go to their study, and then they're going to walk to the next study, or they might need a ride to the next study. So we'd have to transport and that kind of thing. But... Um, Initially, and what we're talking about here, when we would go out door to door, and what we've always done with our, um, like our 10 days or something, we'll always plan an hour and a half, generally. Like I said, always generally, right? That doesn't go together. But you like that, Cameron? <laughs> so, <laughs> always generally, you love that, right? Anyway, <clears throat> so. An hour and a half worked well in most places to get to your territory, have about an hour knocking on doors, and to get back. And then we would plan for a follow-up for about a half hour. So I always plan for about a half hour training, hour and a half going out, we get two hours now, and about a half hour afterwards, about two and a half hours in my time limit. And that included our organization going out, coming back, and review. Now, that helps when your people know what to count on. They know that every time we go, I know what to count on. I know we're not going to be dragged. And if you did, if I tried with new members, who, I mean, new to going out, we're going to go out like we do at the Manual Institute. We're going to leave at 3.30 and come back at 9.30. Forget about it. They're not going. You probably wouldn't go. You'd be like, no way. But when we go out this first time, some of you are still nervous, but you're going to find out it goes pretty quickly and you say, I can do this. And you want, that's what you want, is you want to keep it within a framework where they feel that they can do it. And you, keep, you can keep your people with you. 
Okay, so you want to plan that. Regular time, regular time, out, uh, time for outreach, regular time limit. And you might have an outreach Sabbath or outreach Sabbaths that you uh, plan for. You want to practice your door approach. We're going to do this in just a moment. Um, here's your canvas at the top of the next page for the community religious survey. Hello, my name is, and I'll state your name here. Hello, my name is Mark, and this is my friend, Janelle. We are students at Emanuel Institute, and we're on an assignment in your area conducting a community religious survey. Sometimes I say community religious survey, and sometimes I don't. Some people, when they get religious, are like, I don't know about that. And then, I, and then I'll throw something out like, you know, look, it's just, a, it's just an opinion poll, regardless. Or they may say, well, I'm, a, you know, I'm not a Christian. Well, that's okay. Uh, this is just getting your opinion on some religion. Once you do that, they're usually okay with it. But sometimes I just say, we're doing a survey in your area. Do you have a couple of minutes? They'll find out right away it's a religious survey because of the nature of it, which you'll see here in a moment. Uh, could you help us out by answering a few questions? I mean, that's as simple as that. And most people will be nice to you. Uh, whether they do the survey or not. Some may chat with you and say, you know, I have my own church. And, oh, really? Where, where is that? You know, and you'll chat a little bit and they'll never do the survey, but you may chat with them. And some they'll say, no thanks, I'm not interested or I don't have time or whatever. But most people are going to be fairly polite. Uh, there's another uh, option there for the neighborhood survey that I'm not going to go over right now. Number four, avoid chasing the devil's rabbits. I want you to notice the devil will throw up, if you, if you have a person who's interested. So I'm knocking down the street. Here I am. I'm going down door to door. And you all are a house. And good old Max at the end of the row, he has been praying that the Lord would, you know, reveal himself to him. Oh, sorry, Emmanuel. So I'll go over here. No, I'll go over here. They can't, the video camera, you know, somebody's going to get the videotape and whoo, I was raptured. So I'm knocking on doors and I'm coming to, now what's going to happen is the devil's going to either He's either going to distract me with somebody who just wants to debate. Okay? Dan's an atheist and he's going to debate me. And we're just going to be talking for 45 minutes. And then my time's up. Right? Or I'm going to get in some kind of... Brenda's going to be you know, arguing with me and slam the door and discourage me. In fact, the, all of everybody on the row is going to discourage me. And then I'm going to be like, forget it. I'm just ready to go home before I get to Matt. That's the way the devil works. I just want you to know that. When you find people that are rude, you're probably getting close to the interest. No, you're definitely getting close. Okay? So notice point number A. Pray for what? We're going to pray for speedy... Hey, if they're going to slam the door, let them slam the door quick so I can get on to the interest. Pray for speedy rejections. God does have people who are looking for light. And that's what those quotes say underneath. I love these two quotes um, beneath here. Letter B, there will always be people who are willing to talk with you who aren't interested in spiritual things. They'll just soak up your time. Now, if you have plenty of time, fine. Um, and you can have interesting conversations. It still sharpens your skills. But you want to find interest. Because it says here, the first statement, Acts of the Apostles, there are many who are reading the Scriptures who cannot understand their import, their true import. All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully, that is, longingly towards heaven. Prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many are on the verge of the kingdom, waiting only to be gathered in. They're out there, and we are going to find them. And then number five, 
Be enthusiastic. Okay, if a person can be, I hope I'm not stepping on somebody's toes here, but if a person can be enthusiastic about selling you a vacuum cleaner, that can suck all the dust out of your pillows or whatever else, you ought to be at least excited enough about the gospel. Okay? Your enthusiasm is going to, they're going to respond to your enthusiasm. I want you to notice the statement at the top of the next page. When God opens the way for the accomplishment of a certain work and gives assurance of success, the chosen instrumentality, that's you, must do all in his power to bring about the promised result in proportion to the what? Enthusiasm and perseverance with which the work is carried forward will be the success given. You got it. You got no reason not to be enthusiastic. It doesn't matter. The devil brings people to slam doors because there's somebody out there who's longing for light, wistfully looking towards heaven. And so you want to be enthusiastic. You remember what Jesus said at the book to the woman at the well? And I've got the Pastor Howard's paraphrase here. If you realized who I am and what I can give you, you'd be coming to me instead of me coming to you. you know, they, 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 they don't realize, but you realize what you have. You want to remember that when you're going up uh, to those doors. Last step here, remember, well, not the last, the next to the last, remember that victory is promised. And I want to share with you some of the most powerful and encouraging statements from the pen of inspiration. The first one says, heavenly angels have long been what? Waiting for human agents, the members of the church, to cooperate with them in the great work to be done. They are waiting for you. Now think about this for a minute. These are the angels of God, but they can't go to reach the people without you going. And so they're waiting. And all the church members are like, oh, I don't know, I'm scared, I'm nervous. And here's the angels. They're just like, somebody, somebody go. And as soon as you're like, okay, I'll go, boom, you've got the holy angels there. You want to remember that. The angels of God are going to use you and work through you. So vast is the field, so comprehensive the design that every sanctified heart Every sanctified heart will be pressed into service as an instrument of divine power. Doesn't that sound awesome? Powerful. You are an instrument of divine power. Wow. Amen is right. Look at the next one. When we give ourselves wholly to God and in our work follow His directions, He makes Himself responsible for its accomplishment. He would not have us conjecture as to this what? Success of our... Honest endeavors, not once should we even think of failure. We are to cooperate with one who knows the Love that statement. Last one says, In every new field, patience and perseverance must be exercised. Be not disheartened at small beginnings. It is often the humblest work that yields the greatest results. It may not look like a lot is happening, but a lot is happening. There's one I wish I had on here, but I don't have on here where, where Ellen White says, If you fail, 99 times, but succeed in winning one soul, you've done a noble thing. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.